excited about that this morning. But this morning I'm talking out of Matthew 7. The title of my message is Founded on the Rock. Founded on the Rock. Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. Father, I ask that you let me deliver this message in a way that you want it done. Let none of my own opinion come out, but all of yours. Father, let every person leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 24. Rosie, it's my turn now, baby. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Sometimes sermon titles are really easy to come across. Sometimes they're not. This one's really easy. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and it was a great fall. As I've said before, I am the worst thing that ever happened to a toolbox. But I do know enough to know that the foundation of a house is pretty important. Uh, before Katrina, we lived right by Andrew Jackson on Artillery Drive, if you know where that is. Neighbors, this microphone's new and it's cutting out on me, sorry. One of our neighbors lived around the corner and he lived right on the canal and the, the Congressman Abair. And um, he had a, a daughter that was a couple years younger than I was, but we, as kids, we'd go play outside and we'd go to this person's house and that person's house and that person's house. And I remember going in her house one day, we were over on that side, so all the kids' neighborhood went in there, were cooling off, it was hot. And I noticed in the back corner of the house that there had a, dad had a recliner. But right behind the recliner, the floor did this. It just fell in. And I remember thinking, like, that's, that's pretty weird. You know, why do you have, I was real big into, like, military stuff when I was a kid. I'm like, why do you have a foxhole in your living room? Like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And come to find out, I asked my dad. My dad said, no, he lives on the canal. And the foundation of that house isn't the best, and the canal was falling in. So the house was beginning, literally the foundation of the living room was beginning to crack and fall into the, to the canal. And I, I, I can remember that. And whenever I read this story, that's the image that comes to my mind because a foundation is incredibly important. And here we are this morning dedicating babies, and we're going to be building lives. We're going to be building lives like you would build a house, and we're building these things up. And so if the foundation is faulty, it does not matter how pretty or beautiful or ornate the house is and big the house is. If the foundation is bad, you're risking the entire structure. And so my question for you this morning is, obviously, are you founded on the rock? But when we read through this, I don't know about you, but when I read through this, always, I always thought it was a little redundant. Right? Like Jesus says, a foolish man builds his house on the sand. I am not a contractor. I'm not a construction person. But I know enough to know that I'm not just going to go throw a, a house on the beach in Destiny. Like, just right there on the coast and no slab, just a house. Like, I know enough to know that is a terrible idea. If you don't know that, I'm letting you know it is a terrible idea to build a house there. But when I read this, I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, the other day, I'm reading it, and something jumped out to me that made me think my understanding was faulty. Because... I don't feel like Jesus would have to tell us something so obvious. 
right? Like, I don't think you needed to know that you can't build a house right at the water's edge in Destin. I don't think you need to know that. I didn't need to know that. It's common sense. And so why would Jesus warn us of something that's common sense? It would be like, hey, whatever you do, don't jump off a skyscraper. A foolish man jumps off the top of a building. Like, yes, we all know that a foolish man is someone that jumps, that's not going to end well. And so as I'm reading it, I'm realizing, you know what? I bet you there's something else here because Jesus wouldn't say something like that. There's got to be something else to it. So I began reading and I began studying and I was extremely excited because I saw something I've never seen before. And I'm excited to tell you. You may not think that cool. I thought it was incredible. But I got to give you a little background here. So this is at the tail end of Sermon on the Mount which is probably the greatest sermon ever preached. It spans Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, and Jesus basically stands up and just goes for it. Like, he covers everything you could possibly imagine in the Sermon on the Mount. If you were grading it by the way sermons are graded today, it fails. Because he has no constant theme, he has no points, he has no anything, he's just, and then this, and then this, and I'm going to totally change the subject talk about this. I'm going to change something talk about this. But he's given this sermon on the mount. But where he's preaching it, he's preaching this sermon on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee where the Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee. And I know to you that might not mean anything, but when you really want to understand Scripture, sometimes you've got to know where things are happening and the type of people and all that kind of stuff. So as I began digging in this, I found that it was interesting that he's preaching this right on the border of the lake and where the river, the Sea of Galilee, and where the river comes in. And so in this area, it's a very mountainous region. And so Jesus is standing there on this mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, Mount Erebor, I think is the name of it. That's the Lord of the Rings mountain. There's another mountain. I have it written somewhere. But I only know that because my brother's a Lord of the Rings fanatics. But um, he's preaching on this mountain, and so he says, it's a foolish man that builds his house on the sand. So I went looking at what sand was, and let me tell you something, Jesus wasn't talking about sand like we think of sand. He was not talking about the sand at the edge of the beach. He's talking about something called alluvial debris. I don't know if you know what alluvial debris is. I didn't until like Tuesday. Alluvial debris is what happens when a river floods and the flood comes in and all the water rushes in, and then when the water recedes, the silt, the mud, the rocks, the, d- the debris that is left behind by the water is called alluvial debris. But what happens, I began looking this up in that exact area, because you can go look at where Jesus was preaching. You can go look at it online. There's actually a video of the Jordan River at flood stage, and this is not something I want to really swim in. It's pretty serious. So you can see that there's a massive amount of water. You can see mountains over here, and structure literally in this video that I'm watching, the guy's standing on well, on, it's a house built on a mountain. He's looking with his cell phone. He's videoing this massive current of water, and it's not but 10, 15 feet from him. And so what Jesus is saying in this exact region, a wise man builds his house on the rock, and it's a foolish man who builds his house on sand. But he's not referring to sand. He's referring to this thing called alluvial debris. Because what would happen is the flood would happen as rivers flood every year. The flood water would come in, and it would just wreck everything. It, I mean, all the trees would die. It would just destroy everything in this little region. But what would happen, the water would sit there. Then as it, was re, as it would recede, as you know, like water doesn't recede as fast as it came in. So the water sat there, and it packed all this stuff to the ground. So what would happen is a, a person would come and travel to the area, and they would look for a place to build their home. 
And if they came right after flood stage, they would notice that there's these rocks over here. But that's going to be really difficult to build a house on the rock. Why would I do that when there's this already made, pre-made foundation right here? Because you've got to realize it doesn't look like sand. It looks like gravel mixed with stone, mixed with rock, mixed with tree, but it's flat. So it looks sturdy. It looks like strong enough to withstand to build a house on. So what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, he's saying a wise man built his house on the rock, but a foolish man built his house on something that looks like the rock. He's saying a wise man built his house on something that is proven and tested and sturdy and has beaten storms time and time again. A foolish man builds his house on something that looks secure. That looks secure. I want to give you three foundations this morning that I find most people build on because they look secure. And I'm not, I'm not coming against anyone who may think this way or bash anybody for it because the truth is that all three of these foundations come from an extremely good place. The motive is always right when you're trying to build something and, and build a life and, and, and raise your children and do all the different things. The motive is always pure. But the motive is, if the motive is pure but the foundation is faulty, it does not matter how good the motive is if the foundation won't hold. Because if you look at Matthew 7, it doesn't say if the rain came. It said when the rain came. It doesn't say if the storm came. It says storm came. The wind blew. This is a fact. These things are going to happen. The first foundation I want to give you that looks solid is the foundation of satisfaction. The foundation of satisfaction. And this foundation is based upon our individual preferences. What I mean by that is, is that, and see, this foundation probably only really, this is a very Western message, right? This is a, a, a message to the American culture, the American church. Because we can decide, I want to build my life for satisfaction. I want to build my life to be exactly the way I want it to be. I want to drive the truck I want to drive. I want to live in the house I want to live in. I want to have the hobbies that I want to have. I want to have the type of spouse that I want to have. I want to have kids. I want to have the type of money. I want to have the type of everything built according to our personal preferences that make us the most satisfied. We don't want any type of pain, any type of discomfort, any type of frustration. We want to build a life that is, that is empty of everything but satisfaction. And I know you are sitting here saying, well, Pastor Chris, that's impossible. I know that that is impossible. But when I listen to different people talk about life decisions and things that they're going to do and things that they want to do, I'm like, you sure you want to do that? Because that sounds good. That sounds like a, a, a firm foundation because who doesn't want to be happy all the time? Right? Like who in their right mind wants to, you know what, this is going to be rough. I'm, I want to do something rough. No one ever signs up for that. All of us, at some point or another, we want to be happy. We want to have enjoyment. There's this big thing right now in our culture. Do what makes you happy. Do you. All these different things that are popular and trendy on Facebook and all these different things. It's, it's this pursue a life of satisfaction. Build your life around you being satisfied. The problem is, is that it, this is built on our individual preferences. 
So here's the problem with building a life for satisfaction is the moment that your preference changes, the foundation has to change. The moment that something that you thought was a part of your foundation is no longer satisfying you, you get rid of it. That's why people get divorced nine times. Because we're building our lives for satisfaction, but in all reality, 10 years in or 8 years in or 15 years in, that person no longer satisfies me, so I have to find someone else to do it. This job no longer satisfies me because my hobbies have gotten more expensive. So I need to be satisfied. So I will leave the job that is provided for me and I got the education for it. I'll step out and do something else because I'm chasing satisfaction. This is based upon our individual preferences. And I don't know about you, but they change often. Right? Like most of the time, the things that we want and like, they tend to change from time to time throughout our lives. This foundation is, is temporary, and it, it gives a temporary or even a seasonal, I want you to catch this, a seasonal illusion of stability. It gives a seasonal illusion of stability. What, what I mean by seasonal, I don't mean like spring. What I mean is, is that you might be completely satisfied with your marriage and the age of your children right now. It's perfect right now. But then what happens when that season changes? What happens when the details are now different because it's no longer our preferred way? All of a sudden, that foundation is no longer as sturdy as it needs to be. So the first one is satisfaction. The second one is success. The second one is success. See, what's different from satisfaction to success is satisfaction, I'll jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because I, I got to make sure that I keep that initial piece of satisfaction going. Because everybody knows, like, eventually at some point, the butterflies, they don't stay around the clock. They, they come back and forth. But there are times in your relationship that you aren't always like, oh, I get to see so-and-so today. Today, I told you, I wasn't in a good mood yesterday. I don't think Caitlin was in a good mood. There were no butterflies in my house yesterday. None. Somebody must have caught them all and put them outside. We couldn't find any butterflies yesterday. She had a nursery, but she was on the front row. She'd agree with me. There were no butterflies yesterday. Right? It's what happens. But thankfully, my life built on a foundation of satisfaction. Because in that moment yesterday, all of a sudden, my mind could have went, Foom. I got to go find somebody. This ain't working no more. Because the butterflies are gone. The difference between satisfaction and success is satisfaction is, is a foundation of feeling a certain way. Success is a foundation of having things a certain way. The foundation of success is based upon our individual aspirations. Which means, if I make X amount of money, if I have X amount of cars, if I have X amount of land, if I can go buy X amount of whatever, and we fill in all these different prerequisites of what success looks like. Because if, if we pass this microphone around and we ask, what does success mean to you? And what does success mean to you? And what does success mean to you? It's probably... On the surface, we might get some very generic similarities or superficial similarities, but they will not be very similar once we dive into the details. That's the way it is. But when we make success, the foundation that we strive for, 
what ends up happening is, it, I'm not talking about financial success or, or anything like that. I'm talking about whatever we deem successful. One thing that could, I've, I've, I've probably railed against this to a fault in my own life, but we have a history of heart disease in my family. My dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, probably goes back further than him, I'm just not sure. We have a huge history of this. And, and one thing that I could have done, and I probably should do more of, is I could have said, well, I'm going to do everything I can in my power not to be my dad not to be my grandfather. So what I could have done is I could have made such a commitment and labeled that as success, and I could have gone to the gym nine days a week. I could have been this ridiculous diet, and I could have made the goal of my life to not have heart disease. The foundation of everything that I do is not repeating the same flaws and faults and issues and hang-ups that came before me. See, it isn't always just money. It's whatever you deem to be successful. That's why it's based on your individual aspirations. Some of you might not want to be a millionaire. You just don't want to be an alcohol like your father. You don't want to repeat the same destructive behavior. You don't want to repeat the same problems, and that's the aspiration. And so everything in life is not built around satisfaction. It's built around the success of this one aspiration, of this one goal that you're seeking. This happens constantly. And see, this one right here, I believe this is one that's only attainable in a nation like ours. Because of the, the ability we have to go out and be successful and go make money and go start a business and go do the things we want to do. We're blessed that this is even a possibility, but it's, it, it's, a, it's an illusion of stability. So first we have satisfaction. Second, we have success. And the third one, this is the one that if you're going to disagree with any of them, this is the one you're not going to like. I'm just going to let you know up front. The third one is security. The foundation of security. Everything I do is to make sure the people in my life are safe. Everything I do. This is based on our individual insecurities and fears. See, you've probably had this thought, but when I first became a parent, I never had this thought once before I had a kid. I had a kid, I couldn't cross the twin span without having a battle plan in place for if my truck went over the side of the bridge. It's like I never even thought it was a possibility. And then I had a baby, and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I literally was in the gas station one day getting gas, about to cross the bridge. I saw a knife in the case that had one of them window breaker things the firemen used. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Little bitty tiny things about. I bought two of them. One for my car, one for hers. Why? Because I'm prepared. Because that was a personal fear or insecurity that I had. And so my decision making, my y'all at one point it got so bad I took Highway 90. I chose to go across the Chef Bridge. The Chef Bridge, rather than the Twin Span, because I figured there was less of a chance. I don't know why, because this is really not even true. There's less of a chance of me going in the water in the Chef than it is on, on the Twin Span. Y'all, I feel like I'm in the water anyway when I cross the Chef Bridge. That thing is so small. It's ridiculous. But in my brain, I was, I was even beginning to change the route I took. I was 
Everything in my life was revolving and circling around this foundation that I found myself building my life on. Everything is about the security. Everything is about it. And if I'm not careful, I'll live my life paralyzed to these fears instead of giving them to the Lord. And, I, and then my, my, I'll grow up and I'll miss out on so many things because the foundation is more important. The, the, the security is more important. And hear me out. All three of these things are valuable things. They're all good things. They're all things that I believe we all should strive for. But they need to be part of the house, not part of the foundation. See, what many people do is many people take their foundation and make it satisfaction, success, or security. And what they do is they make that the foundation and they try to make Jesus the wallpaper. They try to make Jesus the floors. They try to make Jesus the decorations in the house. And Jesus becomes an accessory instead of the foundation. But here's the problem. You can change accessories. When, when, when somebody comes to your house that you don't really want them to know that you're kind of doing the whole Christian thing, you can just change the accessories. Wait, maybe we got to take that picture down. We got we to change this. We change, change the Spotify. Put the other one on. We, we, I'm not trying to let my brother know that I've been doing the church thing. I, I'm not ready to have that conversation with him. He's going to think I'm crazy. I can't do that yet. And so make Jesus an accessory. Because then what happens is, is whenever we're building on one of these three foundations and the wind starts to blow and we realize the foundation's bad, we run back to Jesus and we put up all the accessories in the house again. And guess what? Because he's so amazing and he's so gracious, he fixes it. He brings peace. Then we get peace. And there go the accessories. We get peace. We get financial breakthrough. We get our marriage put back on track. We get whatever it is. The accessories go back. It becomes seasonal, like Christmas decorations. Because Jesus was never meant to be an accessory or a decoration to your life. He was meant to be the foundation and the substance of your life. See, here's the deal in Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14, verse 11 and 12. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I want to stop real quick on that. Notice what it says. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the righteous will flourish. Point blank saying, it doesn't matter. The structure does not matter. It's the foundation that matters. The foundation is all that matters because I'm living in a tent, but I'm on the rock. I'm in better shape than a 10,000 square foot compound on what looks safe. Now, people strive for more, for one or more of these foundations, and they look to build their lives upon them. The structures of the houses look amazing and beautiful and elaborate, and we show each other these houses. Social media is one post after another of how successful our structure is, how successful our life is, how successful our family is, how successful our business is. It's just one post after the next of how elaborate our houses are, elaborate our lives are. Who posts pictures? Very rarely. You'll see some people do it. But who's like, that is a beautiful slab? Like, 
Like, even if you did post it, you're going to get like three likes, and it's all going to be concrete, guys. Like, man, that is a beautiful slab. Man, that's gorgeous. People don't say that. No, but man, look, at the, look at the new floors I did. Look at the new wallpaper. Look at, look at this. I remodeled. I'm in the middle of a remodel, so I, I see it all the time. Like, look at the progress. Look what we did. This is great. This is great. This is great. But nobody ever talked about the foundation. Yet I can promise you, last year when the hurricane, I forgot what name it was because we had like 80 of them last year. Whenever hurricane was hidden, I did not care about the color of my walls. Because, see, it's the house of the wicked that will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I wasn't thanking God that I had wallpaper. I was thanking, or I didn't have wallpaper. I wasn't thanking God that I had pretty colors on my walls. I was thanking God that my house was built right. Go to the next verse, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man. It seems right to a man or right to a person to build a house to build a structure upon the foundation of satisfaction or to build it on the foundation of success or to build it on the foundation of security. It, it seems right. That seems noble. That seems responsible. That seems like the thing that we should be doing. But let me ask you a question. What kind of success or satisfaction or security, how does that foundation do when the winds of cancer begin to blow? How does that foundation hold up? How does that, that satisfaction hold up? That picture-perfect life, everything looking great. How does that hold up when the diagnosis comes in? Because let's go back to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 7. I need to highlight something for you. Matthew chapter 7. 25. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. Hear me out. As Brother Rod Aguilar says, you're either coming into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. Where Jesus is preaching this message, he's preaching it on a mountain overlooking the floodplain of the Jordan River. They knew when he said the storm came, the wind, he, they knew exactly what he was talking about, that it was seasonal, that every single year around a certain time, this whole area gets destroyed. Hear me out. There are going to be seasons. It is factual. There is nothing about Christianity that absolves us from trials. There is nothing about faith in Jesus that removes hardship, that removes difficulty, that removes pain. There is nothing about Christianity that gives us that. And if you have been presented with a Christianity that removes those things, you were not given Christianity. You were not given truth. There is no portion of Christianity that says it's going to be easy. There's no portion of Christianity that says it's going to be pain-free. The truth of the matter is, is that it's going to hurt. You know why? Because living hurts. Living this life hurts. Living this life has difficulty. It has storms. It has battles. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy, brethren, when you find yourself in trials of many kinds. Whenever I read that, I'm like, no. I don't want to count it all joy. I don't want to go through hard times. I don't want to go through trials. I had to lay hands on my refrigerator again yesterday. Y'all were here about six weeks ago. My refrigerator broke, and I was not happy about it because I'm doing a remodel. 
And if you can't do a remodel and buy a fridge, at least I can't. Maybe you can. If you can, let me, I'm just kidding. And I, yeah, I'm, and yesterday, that was part of the reason there were no butterflies in the house yesterday. And last night I got home and my fridge wasn't working. And I'm sitting there saying, I can't buy a fridge. I don't have floors. I have floors, kind of, like three different versions kind of going on right now. It's really bad. Like, God, I can't buy a fridge right now. So you know what I did? I walked over to my fridge. Again, for the second time in six weeks, I put my hand on it, and I said, in Jesus' name, this fridge is going to work in the morning. I went to bed. Woke up. Fridge working. I'm not going to start a ministry. I'll come pray for your appliances if you pay me money. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. But what I'm saying is, is that I, it's not easy. There's nothing that says life's going to be peachy and rosy and glorious every day, all day. The benefit of Christianity is that even though life is a guaranteed hard time, it's guaranteed of struggle, it's guaranteed of storms, the guarantee of Christianity is that when I'm in those storms, I'm not alone. The guarantee of Christianity is when I'm in those battles, I'm not by myself. Because here's the bottom line. When the foundation is good, the house can get blown away, but it still won't matter. I won't be moved. I won't be shaken. Why? Because I'm built on the rock. The last thing I want to share with you real quick is here's what I see a lot of people do, and this breaks my heart because they don't realize what's happening. What people will do is they'll come in and they'll recognize that I can't build my house on what looks solid. I have to build my house on what is solid. But that corner of the rock ain't going to work with the plans I have. So I'm going to go remove that portion of the rock so I can build the house that I want. I'm going to go remove this portion of this, of this part of the mountain. I'm going to go get rid of this part of the mountain because it doesn't fit with the, 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 the plans that I have. So I'm going to remove this portion of the rock and I'm going to build the house that I want. I'm going to serve Jesus, but this part over here, I don't really like. It don't fit right with kind of how I want to live. So I'm just going to ignore that part. I'm going to just not really pay attention to that one because it doesn't really fit with, you know, kind of what I, you know, kind of want to do because I want to build on the rock, but I also want to build on satisfaction. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just take that chunk of the rock off and build the part that I want. Well, the worst is when I found a scripture that supports the way that I think, even though we didn't understand the scripture right at all. Just grabbing this verse, make a t-shirt of it, and say, I'm going to live this way. No, that's not how it works. There are so many people who are chipping away at the rock and then wondering when the storm comes, why part of their foundation's falling apart. Pastor Chris, I built on a rock. No, you didn't. You built on your edited version of the rock. I'm here to tell you, in 2021, I know we can edit a lot of things with technology, but you cannot edit this. You can't edit it. You can't change it. It's not molding to your life. You are supposed to be molded to it. And that's why it's difficult. That's why building on the rock isn't always exactly what you thought it was going to be. You want to know how I know that? Because I never, ever, 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 ever thought I would be pastoring this church. Never. I wanted to be the guy who sat behind the piano and led worship, and that was it. I didn't want to pastor people. People look crazy. 
The musicians don't have to deal with crazy people. They got to deal with the musicians who are crazy, but they, they get each other. They all get each other up here. But, but the pastor has to deal with the people, and I wasn't interested in dealing with the people. I just wanted to be in the presence of God and have fun and use gifts, give back to God, and have them be happy-go-lucky, and it'd be great. No, God said, no, that's your plans, but you're trying to cut the rock out. I'm trying to tell you that I'm building something bigger than you could ever imagine, and I need you to build like this right here and right now, and your opinion is technically irrelevant. But if I would have cut on the rock, if I would have formed a Jesus that molded to my personal preferences, all I would have been doing was be trying to mesh the rock with the alluvial debris. Then when the storm came, half my house would have blew away. Because they're coming. Storms are coming. This is not a fear point. This is a factual Storms are coming. But the benefit that I have is here. In 25, the rain descended, the flood came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. See, there's one other really cool piece about this sermon that you got to catch, and if you don't, you may not have known this, I think it's really cool. When the settlers first arrived here, have you ever wondered who got off the boat? Oops, sorry. Have you ever wondered who got off the boat and said, let's put a city here? I have. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, the land sinks. There's mosquitoes. It's hot. There's mosquitoes. The land sinks. It's hot. There's mosquitoes. You're getting, you're getting the point, right? Like this, I, I, I could imagine the first one that got out the boat, somebody had to be like, bro, we got to go upriver a little more. This is rough. But what they would do is they would wait till the river would flood, and then they'd go around by boat or by horseback if the water was shallow enough, and they would take flags and they would mark off all the land that was still above water when the river was at height of flood stage. So when the water would go back down, they would know where to go build the structures. That's what they would do. So what would happen is the first settlers would come and they would go through the first flood stage. They're going to mark everything off, but obviously it took a lot longer to build a house back then. So the next boat of settlers would come in, and it would be time to build the house, and they'd go to build the house. But one of the locals, the leaders would say, no, you can't build there. Why? Because that land wasn't marked off. Land, that land wasn't set aside. That land flooded. That spot right there, you can't build there. It looks but you can't build there because it flooded. I want to tell you, that's what we get to do as parents. We get to build our house on the rock, and we get to watch when the storm comes in. And we get to watch which area around us gets flooded. We get to watch what foundation doesn't stand. We get to watch what area does not stand up to the test of cancer. It does not stand up to the test of marriage problems. It doesn't stand up to the test of financial problems. It doesn't stand up to the test of political and racial turmoil. We, we, we can find out quickly that, hey, that area doesn't work. So when our kids come up, some of y'all got to catch this. When our kids come up and it's time for them to start building their own structure, mom and daddy can say, hey, baby, that spot's going to flood. 
that, that spot's not going to stand. It's not going to last. Now, we all know that kids are going to do what they want. It's not my job to make my child build on the rock. It's my job to make sure my child knows what the rock looks like. Say that again. It's not my job to make my children build on the rock. It's my job to make sure they know what the rock looks like, they know where the rock is, and they know where the rock isn't. And so when it's time for them to start building, they can say, Daddy, should I do this? No, baby, you should. Okay, well, I'm going to try anyway. Okay, just letting you know it's not going to work. Daddy, it didn't work. Let's fix it. Let's get it right. No, we can mark those areas off. The problem is, is that we are usually too busy repairing the flaws of our own house and our own structure because it's not built on the rock enough that we never get the time to actually mark something off for the next generation. When, if there could be a group of people that would say, I'm just going to build on the rock, period. And I'm going to go mark off, this will work, baby. This won't. There's going to be young families. we got a bunch of young families coming to church right now. They, they, they're new to Jesus. They're new to reading the Word. They're new to understanding this. And I'm so thankful that we still have some old saints in the room that could say, honey, listen to me. I know that looks good, but it ain't going to work. You know why it's not going to work? Because I did that. My house come crumbling down, and Jesus thankfully saved my marriage, but it almost lost it. I almost lost it all because of this. I almost lost it all because of that. Or better yet, no, sweetheart, I did. I built right there, and the whole thing came down. Jesus gave me a second chance, and I made sure that I built according to the rock. Are you founded on the rock? Are you founded on the rock? Because I'm telling you this morning, I may not know how to do a lot of things. I may not me. I have my failures. I have my shortcomings. I've made my mistakes. I've done things that I knew better to do. I'm talking just this year. If myself would have talked to myself when myself was thinking or doing what it was doing, myself was like, what are you doing? That's stupid. That's, no, you shouldn't do that. I've done those things. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, when I go home at night, when I wake up in the morning, I'm still on the rock. You see, when you're built on the rock and you go to start do and you're going to start to do something that isn't lining up with the rock, when you know the rock enough, you recognize it quickly. You recognize, wait a second, this, this ain't right. This isn't working right. This isn't this isn't going the way it should be going. But I'm thankful that I'm a third generation Christian. I'm thankful that there were people who went before me. I'm thankful that my grandmother laid out those flags and said, Chris, don't build there. I'm thankful that my parents were steadfast enough. We've never been wealthy. We've never done all, had all the great bells and whistles. But one thing I knew was I knew where to build. This morning, I have two questions for you. The first question is, is, are you built on the rock? Are you founded on the rock? The second question is, is are you marking off the areas the next generation to come build on? Are you thinking enough about the future to say, no, but I do matters because they're coming up behind me.
And those of you that, de- that you dedicated your kids this morning, you got some time until you got to start really having that kid build their life. But you know what? There's probably somebody in your life right now that needs Jesus, that needs the foundation. You can start saying, hey, wait a second, come here. Or there's somebody in this room that you can connect with that maybe their structure is not as solid as yours. And you can start pulling in along out of you and say, you know what? No, I got to build like you. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is living life with somebody. It's saying, you know what? You don't, I know more than you know, but only because I've been knowing Jesus longer than you. That's it. Only reason why. Come follow me. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Built on the rock. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?